This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith and I will be your host. This is episode 296 entitled The Johannine Jesus' Use of I Am He, Part 2. Yes, we're continuing this ongoing study in which we are exploring this very important phrase, the phrase, I am he. Now, in Hebrew, this phrase is anihu, which literally translated as I, he. And in Greek, the phrase is egoimi, which is I am he, with the stress on the first person pronoun. In each instance, we have this emphasis on the fact that the speaker is a single person because we have singular pronouns and when it's used in reference to God it seems to be a self-declaration of God's oneness of person and his unrivaled position. Now just to give a little bit of history in regard to the studies that we've done so far which I feel we kind of have to do every time we do a new episode in this series, we need to begin at the beginning. And by the beginning, I mean the Hebrew Bible. So we've explored every single instance in the Old Testament to where the phrase, I am he, appears, both in Hebrew and in Aramaic. And after looking at several examples within the Jewish literature to see how the Hebrew Bible was understood by its earliest interpreters, we noted a repeating pattern. The pattern consists of Yahweh using the self-declaration, I am he, in order to highlight his oneness of person and his position as the only true God. We also noted the pattern of human beings being allowed to say, I am he, And when they did so, they were just casually pointing to themselves in the midst of the context of the conversation that they were having with another person. And there was no suggestion that these human beings saying, I am he, it is I, I am the person we're talking about. There was no suggestion that this casual claim was mistaken by anyone around them as if the person speaking was making some sort of claim to be Yahweh, the God of Israel. So if you want the evidence for those findings, you can look at episodes 289 through 291. Now we turn to our earliest gospel accounts, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, because we wanted to see if when Jesus was making the claim, I am he, if he was claiming to be the God of Israel, or if he was saying something else. And we looked at every occurrence in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we noticed that when Jesus would say, I am he, when he would say, ego me in Greek, it seemed to almost always fit the casual self-reference. It is I. Sometimes there was a question posed as to whether Jesus was God's anointed Messiah, to which Jesus would answer, I am he. I am the Messiah. If you want the 
episodes for that. Those would be episodes 292 through 294. Now, last week, episode 295, we began exploring the Gospel of John. And it's the Gospel of John that has Jesus saying the phrase, I am he, more frequently than any of the other Gospels. And we observed last week further evidence demonstrating that when Jesus used the phrase ego me, translated into English as I am he, that Jesus was agreeing to be God's Messiah. And on one occasion, Jesus said I am he as a casual self-reference when he was walking on the water. He was indicating to the disciples, hey guys, it's me, it is I, but there's no evidence thus far that Jesus is actually making the claim to be Yahweh, the only true God. But many people will point to John chapter 8 as the definitive proof that Jesus is, in fact, making a claim to be Yahweh, the only true God. And this week's episode, we'll look at the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John. This chapter records Jesus saying, I am he, four times the most concentrated use of the phrase out of the mouth of Jesus in any chapter of the New Testament. And in the final declaration, where Jesus says, I am he, at the end of chapter 8, we have an attempt by the Jews to stone Jesus to death. So what did Jesus mean when he said, I am he, in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John? And did he claim to be the only true God with this claim? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at Jesus' use of I am he in John chapter 8. So it's important to realize that John chapter 8 is actually continuing a dialogue from chapter 7 if we exclude the insertion of the story of the adulterous woman. So I'm going to start in chapter 8, verse 12, but this is continuing the dialogue that was already going on from the end of chapter 7. So Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, verse 12. So we do have an ego in me saying here. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But this is egoimi with a title that's actually used as the predicate. So it's not Jesus saying, I am he, full stop. He is saying, I am, and the predicate is this title, the light of the world. The Gospel of John actually has seven of these titles with Jesus saying, I am, plus a particular title. And because it's not actually the limited phrase, I am he, that we're used to from the Old Testament Jewish literature, it doesn't really serve any use for our particular study. So I wanted to point it out, but it's not going to help us in understanding what Jesus means when he says, egoimi, by itself. So let's continue in the passage, starting in verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. 
you judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. That's chapter 8, verses 13 through 18. So here in verse 18, Jesus does use egoimi, the phrase I am he, by itself, without a title functioning as the predicate. So it doesn't just mean I am, it means I am he. Now what is Jesus saying in this particular instance? Well, we can see in the context that Jesus has been clearly distinguishing himself from God. And to be clear, Jesus defines God as the Father. And when Jesus defines God as the one who sent him, this indicates that Jesus sees himself as the commissioned agent of the Father. Furthermore, to be the sent agent, this is naturally going to make Jesus subordinate to the sender. If Jesus obeys a sending from the sender, then he is subordinate to God. So these are not two co-equal figures. So what does it mean when he says, I am he, when he says, ego in me? So in the context, it seems that I am he indicates that Jesus is claiming to be the authorized agent of the Father, the agent whom the Father has sent and commissioned. But we might play devil's advocate here. Could it possibly be that Jesus, by saying here, I am he, is actually making a claim to have the unique self-designation of Yahweh, the only true God. Is it possible, I'm asking here, that Jesus is actually claiming to be Yahweh in this statement? I think it's unlikely for several reasons. One reason in particular is that if we look at the second half of Isaiah, let's say the passages Isaiah chapters 40 through 66, where we demonstrated that Isaiah defines himself with the declaration, I am he, in Hebrew, anihu, eight times. And in Isaiah, Yahweh is defined as the Father alone. So to claim to be Yahweh, the one who claims I am he as a title in reference to his unrivaled position as the only true God, that would actually be a claim to be the Father. Furthermore, for someone to say, I am he, whoever that is, that person is making a claim to be one single person, not more than one person. So when God says, I am he, he is making a Unitarian claim. By saying, I am he, by saying, anihu in Hebrew, or the way that it's translated into Greek, which is egoimi, the Jews are understanding the speaker there as one single person, not more than one person. That's how the basic grammar works. Therefore, if the Father was Yahweh, who made the self-declaration, I am he, in Isaiah, then Jesus is clearly not claiming to be Yahweh when he says, I am he. Because in the context, Jesus is unambiguously and clearly distinguishing himself 
from the Father. The Father is someone other than Jesus. So Jesus would not be claiming to be Yahweh if he says, I am he. Seems more likely that Jesus is claiming to be God's agent, the agent whom God has sent and commissioned. Let's move on in our passage. Let's continue. Starting in verse 19. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, Surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. And he said to them, You are from below, but I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's John 8, verses 19 through 24. So here we have the second occurrence of Jesus making the claim, I am he, in John chapter 8, here in chapter 8, verse 24, to be specific. So again, the Greek phrase is egoimi, and he's saying that you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. So we're wondering here, what is it that they're supposed to believe about Jesus that is going to keep them from dying, that's going to keep them from perishing? Luckily for us, we have a very popular verse that was already said earlier in the Gospel of John that deals with this topic. And that, of course, is John 3.16, which indicates that God loved the world in that he gave his unique son in order that whoever believes in him will not die, as in will not perish. So we can see the person in whom the readers are supposed to believe is not God, it's the person distinguished from God. It's God's unique son. And if you believe in this unique son as someone clearly distinguished from God, and of course the son of God indicates that God is the father, this seems to make a clear parallel to what Jesus is saying in chapter 8, verse 24. John 3.16 says that if you believe in the unique Son, you will not perish. Jesus says, unless you believe that I am he, you will perish. So I think there's an interesting way to kind of connect those things. In the earlier passage, of course, Jesus distinguishes himself from God, and that, of course, is what Jesus has been doing throughout this entire chapter, even throughout the entirety of the Gospel of John. It's one of the clearest takeaways from the Gospel of John on a cursory reading is that Jesus is distinguished from God. So in this passage, we can also point out some other interesting points. We can see that Jesus describes the Father, not simply as the Father, but as my Father. And this indicates that Jesus is the Son of the Father. If the Father is Jesus' Father, and if Jesus is a male, then that makes Jesus the Son. 
the Son of the Father. And if the Father is God, that makes Jesus the Son of God. And Son of God is a messianic title. It's a title indicating that the person is God's anointed king. So by claiming that the Father is my Father, Jesus is making a claim to be the Messiah, God's agent that has been authorized to function as God's messianic ruler. So in this passage, the claim, I am he, is likely intended by Jesus to indicate that he is the Messiah, the authorized agent whom God has commissioned. But as we're going to see in the very next verse, his listeners regarded the phrase, I am he, as a casual self-declaration, indicating that there is this assumed tolerance in Judaism that you can make these sort of casual claims. You could say, I am he, as just a casual way of pointing yourself out in the conversation. So as we keep reading in the passage, starting in verse 25, they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak the things as the Father taught me. That's John 8, verses 25 through 28. So we can see at the beginning of that passage that they were responding to him by saying over and over repeatedly, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? This shows that when Jesus was making the claim, I am he, they thought that he was saying a casual self-reference. Jesus saying, I am he, and they're like, who, who are you? Who, who do you think you are? They haven't quite made that connection there, but also they didn't regard someone making a casual claim to be I am he as blasphemous or worthy of stoning or anything like that. So it's interesting to see how this is unfolding. Now at the end of this passage, in verse 28, Jesus again, for the third time, makes the claim I am he, in Greek, egoimi. And in this passage, we see that Jesus continues to distinguish himself from God. And Jesus defines God as the one who sent Jesus as God's agent. And Jesus says that the one who sent him is true. And this will be unpacked later in the Gospel of John in chapter 17, verse 3, to indicate that the one who sent Jesus, whom Jesus calls the Father, is the only true God. So, in our current passage, the narrator is indicating to the readers that Jesus' Jewish audience, the people with whom Jesus is talking, have actually failed to identify the one whom Jesus has described as the sender. They failed to realize that Jesus is talking about God as Father. So it's important to realize that there is a disconnect in regard to Jesus' identity. They're saying, who are you? And they fail to identify Jesus' father as God. So they are not 
holding on to the pulse of the conversation very well. And the reader is supposed to pick up all of these points and this level of disconnect between Jesus and his followers. And of course, the narrator jumps in there to highlight this particular point. So what is Jesus saying in this passage? He says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. So who is the Son of Man in the Gospel of John? Well, the Son of Man is a title of the authorized human revealer of the things of God. And we can already see this in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, where the Son of Man functions as an authorized revealer. But he is a human revealer of God. And so this passage is indicating that when the Jews lift up the Son of Man, and by lifting up it means lifting up on the cross to kill him, then they will recognize that Jesus is saying, I am he. So in the context of the very sentence that Jesus is speaking, I am he refers to the closest antecedent, meaning the Son of Man. Jesus is not saying, I am God. He's not saying that I am the Father. He's not saying I'm the one that sent him. He's not saying I'm the only true God. He's saying, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. I am the Son of Man. I am this human authorized revealer of God, which, of course, is someone who is distinguished from God. So three times now Jesus has said, I am he, and in doing so, he has distinguished himself from God. He has distinguished himself from the Father. Moreover, in claiming to be I am he, Jesus again indicates that he is only speaking what he has learned from the Father. Jesus, in doing so, is pointing to himself as an obedient son. And you have to remember that the Son of the Father is the Son of God. And Son of God is a messianic title. So let's move towards the end of John chapter 8. This will be kind of our second point, which is the conclusion of John chapter 8. And we'll look at verses 47 through 59. 59 is the last verse in the chapter. So the passage goes on for a long time, but I want to make sure that we get the final instance in which Jesus says, I am he, and I want to make sure that we get all the context that's involved to the leading up of this, because what's going to become very, very clear is that as Jesus continues to dialogue with the Jews, is that there's this growing level of misunderstanding that they have in regard to the things that Jesus is saying. And I want to point out these misunderstandings as they come up, because not only do they continue to increase in number, but they also get more absurd as it goes on. And as the reader, we're supposed to see these things, and by recognizing that the Jews are continually misunderstanding Jesus, and that their misunderstandings are ridiculously absurd, it limits the validity of the things that they're saying. I think that's a really important point. So, starting in verse 47, Jesus says, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So this, in my opinion, is the first misunderstanding of this particular passage. 
So Jesus certainly has spent some time around the Samaritans. We saw that in chapter 4. And Jesus is saying things that the Jews who can't seem to conceive of Jesus being the true Messiah, things that they would regard as being crazy. So they accuse Jesus of being a Samaritan and being demon-possessed. The reader obviously knows that these claims are false. They have misunderstood him. The Jewish Messiah, of course, in the mind of any Jew, is neither a Samaritan nor possessed of demons. So from the perspective of the Jews that are talking to Jesus, Jesus, who seems to be accused of being a Samaritan and being possessed of a demon, could not possibly be the promised Jewish Messiah, the Son of God. But this is misunderstanding number one. Let's continue in the passage. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. So this, I think, is actually misunderstanding number two. Did you catch the misunderstanding? Jesus said that if you keep his word, you will not see death. But the Jews repeat back to him, and they say, well, you're saying that if anyone keeps my word, you will not taste death. So they are already misconstruing the things that Jesus is saying but I think this is a second misunderstanding. I don't think that these are meant to be logical parallels. The point is that they are not listening very carefully to the clear things that Jesus is saying. The passage goes on. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And this, I think, is misunderstanding number three. How does this misunderstanding unfold? Well, Jesus said that Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Who is the subject of this verb? Abraham is the subject. Abraham rejoiced to see. But the Jews respond by saying that Jesus has seen Abraham. Who is the subject of this verb? Jesus. Abraham is functioning as the object. So, Clearly, they're misunderstanding this, and it's not even close. It's getting more and more absurd in the level of their misunderstanding and their inability to listen to Jesus very carefully. So, Jesus responds, and he says in verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am he. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That's Chapter 8, verses 58 through 59. And this, I think, is the fourth misunderstanding. So, 
two things need to be settled here before we move any further. We need to settle the meaning of I am he in John 8:58, and we need to discuss the meaning of what it means to be before Abraham. So let's begin with kind of the main purpose of this particular episode, which is the meaning of I am he. I think it's pretty clear in the context, as we've seen throughout the three earlier occurrences of egoimi, of I am he in English, is that it means that Jesus is the authorized messianic agent of the Father. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, specifically the Son of the Father. And it also fits with the purpose statement of the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verse 31, where it says that this was written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God, of course, is someone who is distinguished from God. Now we can see in this final unfolding of the passage that there's a heightened stress on the fact that the Father is Jesus' Father. He alluded to this earlier in verse 19, but most of the occurrences just simply said the Father, the Father, the Father, but we start to get a little bit more specificity towards the end. In verse 49, Jesus says the Father is my Father, and we also see it again in verse 54. The Father is my Father. And again, if God is Jesus' Father, that makes Jesus the Son, the Son of God. And the Son of God is the Messiah. Meaning, the claim, I am He, is a reference to His Messianic status. I am He. I am the Messiah who has been commissioned by the true God. So that's what I think I am he actually means. I don't think that Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh, the only true God. He has consistently distinguished himself from God, and we know that I am he can be a reference to something that's been discussed in the context. And clearly, the discussion is whether Jesus really is the Messiah or not. And of course, the Jews have disagreed with Jesus on this point. So that deals with the first issue. The second issue is dealing with what does it mean that Jesus is before Abraham? Well, we have evidence from several Jewish sources that regard the name of the Messiah as actually pre-existing creation. And you're going to note from these quotes, and my point here is trying to set the Jewishness of the Gospel of John in its Jewish context. We're going to see in these quotes that it's the Messiah's name, not his person, not his being, not himself, but just the name of the Messiah that was foreknown by God before creation. So the first passage we're going to look at comes from the Babylonian Talmud. It comes from Pesahim 54a, and it also has a parallel in the Babylonian Talmudic tractate Netarim 39b. So it appears twice in the Talmud. And this is what the passage says. It says, Seven things were created before the world was made, and these are they. Torah, repentance, the Garden of Eden, Gehenna, the throne of glory, the house of the sanctuary, and the name of the Messiah. The passage goes on and it gives scriptural evidence from the Hebrew Bible to show that these things all preexist in some sort of fashion. And when it comes to the name of the Messiah, they cite Psalm 
72 verse 17, which in their rendering says that his name shall endure forever and has existed prior to the sun. That's S-U-N, sun, not S-O-N. So these are Jews that are saying that it's not the Messiah that pre-existed, it's his name that existed before the sun, and in doing so, they think that the Hebrew Bible is actually teaching this particular point. And so this particular understanding of things that pre-existed was popular enough that it should appear twice in the Babylonian Talmud. So that's some evidence from Jewish sources. We also have the Targumic reading from Zechariah, and Targum Zechariah in its reading of chapter 4, verse 7. The interpretation is that God will reveal his Messiah, whose name is spoken from the beginning, end quote. It's not the Messiah who is in the beginning, it's his name that was spoken in the beginning. Now we have another passage from Genesis Rabbah, chapter 1, verse 4, where they list six things that preceded the creation of the world. Some of them were actually created while the creation of others was already contemplated. The Torah and the throne of glory, these were created. The throne of glory, of course, was created, but the creation of the patriarchs was contemplated. The creation of Israel was also contemplated. The creation of the temple was contemplated and specifically the name of the Messiah. Not the Messiah himself as his person, but the Messiah's name was also contemplated. And in doing so, the author of Genesis Rabbah again cites Psalm 72, 17, where it says that his name exists prior to the sun. So it's interesting here in this passage, we have the Jewish author talking about two different ways that something can pre-exist. It can either actually have pre-existed in a real created way, it was actually there, or it could have been something that was contemplated. So it makes a distinguishing between those two categories. And when it comes to any sort of human figure, the patriarchs, the nation of Israel, it, it puts those not as actually having been created, but contemplated as in, in God's plans and purposes. And when it comes to the Messiah, he gets in the contemplated category, not in the actually created category. But more specifically, it is the name of the Messiah. The purpose of me pointing these things out is that there was a widespread Jewish expectation that the name of the Messiah was something that preexisted certainly before Abraham. It was before the Son. And obviously, the Son was before Abraham. So if the Messiah's name preexisted, then Jesus can emphatically say, I am he. What is the name of the Messiah? It's me, Jesus. I am he. And so Jesus, of course, making the messianic claim right there. But we can see the Jews do pick up stones to throw at him because he, in their mind, if we have followed the logic of the passage thus far, is making a false and blasphemous claim to be the Messiah. They recognize that he's making a messianic claim, but they don't agree that he really is the Messiah. They think he's a false Messiah. But they certainly don't think that Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh. 
and they have clearly misunderstood him, as we've seen multiple times throughout the passage. And because the Jews have misunderstood Jesus, their opinion on what Jesus is claiming is not to be the litmus test for true Christology of the Gospel of John. What Jesus says is true, their misunderstanding of what he said cannot be true by definition. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Join us next week as we continue to explore the rest of the I Am He references within the Gospel of John. Please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support us absolutely for free by subscribing online, by giving us an honest review, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to offer a donation, please check out the episode description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.